Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hi. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I uh, saw the shirt you were wearing and I had to <laughs> play that music. The funny thing is, everybody who saw me on this morning's calls was like, oh, I have to go get dressed for the meetup. I'm not dressed up enough. This is my dressed up. <laughs> well, good. You'll make everyone feel at home on a fr summer Friday afternoon or morning, depending on where you are. So I hope everyone's great today. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Friday digital meetup. I see our uh, group has grown to over 2,200. Whoa. So uh, that's exciting. So glad you guys are all here. And uh, thank you so much again for being here. Um, for those, I, actually, for those of you that are new here, which there, you, there probably are some newbies since that number mm -hmm. continues to grow. If you're new, let us know uh, in the chat, everyone, not just the newbies, in the chat, uh, let us know where you're joining from. That would be great. Put the name of your company too, because there's some newbies here as well. Nice, intimate crowd. Yeah, Laurel, yeah. it's very intimate. Um, that's why we start with Quiet Riot. Um, yep. But put the name of your company, the city, and uh, and we'll go ahead and get started. There's Christine. Hey. I had dinner with Christine this week. It was awesome. In See, New York City. 2,500, we're jumping into Lake Harriet again. It won't no. be frozen because we'll hit it soon. <laughs> it's going to be in real life party. In, I mean, in real life party. Yeah. Uh, hi, Tanya. Welcome from Wealthy. We've got North India in the house, Pittsburgh in the house. Uh, Canton, Ohio, CGG, Houston, Hi Tilly, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Duluth, Minnesota. Woo, another Duluth, a Minnesotan. Monica, uh, Suzanne, Jody, Tracy, Mark. Donna, Mark. Awesome. Look at this. Uh, oh. New Smyrna. Welcome, Kelly. Or sorry, Howard. Hi, Kelly. So good to see you. Mark, Ron, Sarah. Southeastern Pennsylvania. I wonder what city that is. Jess, geography? Southeastern. Oh, Philly's southeastern, isn't it? Uh, I'm not even going to answer. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, sunny Virginia. Brittany. So good to see you, Brittany. Oh, yes. Uh, wow. Great group today. I love it. South of Philly. See? South of Philly. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah so I said, what city, Sarah? The exact city. Exact city. <laughs> Um, so you guys, oh, there's Leo. Leo, thanks for all your emails during the week. Sorry, uh, it's been a crazy week. I've been on the road all week, but uh, I've been trying to get to them as we've gone. Kendra. Okay. Whew. Three years. Happy anniversary, Mark. Mark. <clears throat> three years it's is a big deal. <laughs> You've overcome the odds deal. at three years. Two of those being in a pandemic. <laughs> yes. Congratulations. Huh? Utah. Awesome. So, um, Landenburg, Pennsylvania. That's where we're going to do our in real life meetup. <laughs> I love it. Landenburg, Pennsylvania. Sarah, you're hosting. <laughs> so um, you guys, for those of you that are new here, we always start with the same thing. Um, we always start with the same question. And it's probably one I, as you know, I, I say this a lot. I think it's the most important question that humans can ask each other. And it's very, very relevant to today's conversation. But, you know, we ask it every week and we've been asking it every week for 109, 110 weeks now, basically, mm -hmm. uh, which is how are you? How are you? And oh, Howard even answers before I do it. See, <laughs> I love it. some people that are trained, others that are new, the, the options are green, yellow and red. Green, I feel great today. Yellow, eh, not so good, but that's not bad. Red. Um, you know, not a good day, but you know, our goal at all of these meetups is to move you from red to yellow or yellow to green and try to get you into the weekend into a green mode. Or for our friends who are joining and it's already the weekend, you guys are already enjoying your uh, your weekend. Tilly loves her job today, that's awesome. Um, uh, you got a couple yellow weeks, but back to green, a mellow yellow, yellow, bright green. Susie, Green Day, Green uh, Green Day. Wow. Green Day. We'll play green that for you. That was the wrong, play the wrong music. But yeah, Green Day. Awesome. Ashley Green. So thank you guys for that. Energized from in-person connections. Kendra, I saw some pictures this week of you in person. Um, I'm curious as to how you like Texas, but uh, that's a different conversation for a different time. Um, 
but uh, for those of you that are new, we've been doing this for uh, about 110 weeks now, every Friday. Uh, we started it right when COVID started. So that shows you it's 110 weeks. Um, and we did it as a way to build a community, to get connection, and to really share, to share what the energy that people have, to share the challenges that people have, to share the opportunities that we have. And everything here is massively real. Right, Jess? We mm -hmm. were just talking about that in the uh, green room about how, you know, hey, we're just showing up and you're wearing the Quiet Riot shirt. Mm -hmm. I happen to be in a hotel room in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, I, I'm curious if anyone knows what's going on in Omaha, Nebraska this weekend. It'll be a big test. Well, some people know me, so they probably will get it. But um, I am in Omaha, Nebraska um, and uh, in a hotel room. Gorgeous, as you can tell. Um, and I guarantee you that during this one-hour meetup, a kid is going to walk in. So <laughs> warning you ahead of time. Uh, Omaha is a great Counting Crows song. Good to know, Mark. But yes, I am here for the College World Series, Kyle. So um, great, good, good guess. And my son is playing in a baseball tournament as we speak. As we speak. So, uh, or excuse me, his next game will be in a couple hours. So, all good. Uh, but that's just your warning that we are real life raw, and that's one of the things that makes every human in this world beautiful. Speaking of that. <laughs> Jess, how's your Hi. week? How's my week? Oh my yeah. gosh, awesome. The weeks are going so fast, I have a hard time remembering where I was and what I did a few days ago. It was another one of those weeks. Uh, somebody asked me if I was on the road this week and I literally couldn't remember <laughs> if I had been anywhere else. <laughs> uh, just hunkered down in Minneapolis, uh, watching a lot of softball, uh, spending a lot of time on the paddleboard. I am training for my next race, a lot of time out on the trails and work, 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 work. Work has never been more fun, Jason. Are you having fun? Oh, it's I'm never having awesome more fun. I, I have to tell you, I'm having an awesome time. I had an amazing dinner in New York City this week um, with someone that's on in our community, which is mm -hmm. great. An amazing meeting with that same person and her team. An amazing meeting in Memphis, Tennessee this week with one of the oldest companies in the world, which was just yeah. fascinating in many ways. Got back to Minneapolis and then got to Omaha. So yeah, uh, yeah lots and lots of fun, fun stuff going on. But talking about fun stuff, mm -hmm. let's talk about life. Oh, I love that topic. <laughs> life, live, life, love, leap. Mm -hmm. So the, our guest today, is someone that I had the opportunity to talk to. Wow, it's probably been, oh, it's almost probably a year ago now. But when I heard her story, like I started to cry. Mm. Um, and I started to cry because I, it was so relatable to me. Mm. Um, some of you know, uh, or I've probably shared this before, that my dad, um, it, I shared with you last, a couple of weeks ago, that it was that, 85th anniversary of his birthday. Um, but my dad passed away after a really, really, really hard battle with multiple myeloma <clears throat> cancer. And one of the things that was so hard for me uh, through that process was trying to just figure out how to deal with life, how to deal with taking care of him how to deal with all of the things. Oh, wow, Jess, that just hit me. Wow, your dad's 85th too. All of the things that, that, you go, that go into care, all of the things that go into care. And when I heard our guest's story, uh, it, it, it just hit me. And then I was like, Lindsay, you are a rock star. You are a rock star. So I am so excited. So, so excited to have her on. We'll invite her on here. Jess, it's your would have been your dad's 85th birthday. Give him a thought. It's Father's Day weekend this weekend, yeah. you guys. So I'll be thinking about my dad. You'll be thinking about your dad. And there's Lindsay. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> magic, magic. <laughs> I was so nervous. <laughs> I have a brand new computer. And 
uh, we were supposed to test the platform because our tech sometimes is, but sorry, I'm totally interrupting you, Jason. <laughs> no, it's good. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you. Thank you so much for sharing your story about your dad. Well, thank you for sharing your story with me when we spoke. And uh, it's one that's uh, one that's resonated with me and Jess, mm -hmm. um, like I said, Father's Day weekend this weekend. Um, and uh, Jess, you saw the note I wrote in our internal company channel this morning, you know, whether yeah. your father is with you or whether your father is no longer with you, uh, please take a minute to just uh, think about all that that person did for you um, in your life. Uh, but Lindsay, let's jump in. I can't wait to hear your story. And I, I, you and I had a long conversation the first time we ever spoke, but I'd love to hear just where Wealthy came from. Um, you know, we'll get to where it is today and what it's doing today, but, you know, it started so much at your core. Mm. Uh, and that was the magic of the story when I first heard it. So would love for you to share that with the, with the group. And you can tell this is a loving group. Yeah. 2,217 people who all care about humans at the core. And you guys, as Lindsay's talking, please put comments in the chat. Lindsay, you don't have to follow them if you can't keep up with everyone. I'll try to note them and uh, and, and read questions to you as they come in. Yeah. Oh, well, I, what a what a wonderful community, by the way. This is this feels so good. Um, yeah. So my well, I'll say, you know, here here I am kind of running a Series B startup, I guess you would consider wealthy, although we're kind of later stage and um, sort of an entrepreneur at this point. And um, I'll, I'll say, you know, um, I'm probably not your standard entrepreneur. This is um, definitely a labor of love. I started wealthy because of the experience I had caregiving for my mom. Um, Jason, you alluded to it, but um, yeah, I was involved in my mom's care for 28 years. My mom suffered from primary progressive multiple sclerosis, MS, if you're familiar with MS. And she got diagnosed with MS when I was nine years old. And I was intimately involved in her care for, yeah, three decades. And taking care of my mom for me was, and, you know, here I am, four kids, running a company, crazy life, but nothing compares, nothing compares to the stress, the frustration, the anxiety, the guilt, the loneliness um, that I experienced and, and many others do in caring for my mom um, during all of those years and seeing her struggle and progress with her condition. And yeah, caring for my mom took on a lot of different forms. As a kid, it was helping out around the house. Um, and then I, I moved home after college. I lived at home and I um, got mom up in the morning and I helped her get dressed and on and off the toilet and helped her get breakfast. And then I'd go into the office and I'd slip home during the day to help her um, on and off the toilet and help her with lunch. And then I'd come home in the evenings and help her in the evenings and um, did that through my early 20s and reached a point in my later 20s when I was just totally burnt out. Um, totally physically, emotionally burnt out. You know, I I worked and took care of my mom. That was it. I, that was my identity. And, and yet, you know, what's really interesting about caregiving is I never told anyone. Now here I am telling you all and 2,000 people, which is crazy. But, you know, for so many years, my caregiving journey, I never told it anyone, which is the case for most people. It's It, wow. it feels, you know, it's still very stigmatized in our society for whatever reason. It's, you know, people like to talk about going to the soccer game on the weekend. You don't talk about, you know, wiping your mom's butt, right? Like that's not something we share. Um, so yeah, it took a lot of twists and turns. I, I moved out of the house and took care from her, uh, took care of her from afar, and set up support and infrastructure for her. Hired and fired in home aides, and went through hospitalizations and surgeries and special treatments. And then the last year and a half of her life, she was on hospice. And I just thought to myself, like, my God, how does anybody do this? And the answer is, nobody does it easily. It causes bankruptcy for families, massive family rifts, people step out of careers, step out of jobs. Um, and it's absolutely a crisis in our country. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Lindsay, I think that, you know, it's so fascinating the way you started when you, the first, one of the first things you said was series B. And that was so weird for me to just hear you talk about series B because the first time we ever spoke, you were like, <sighs> Series A, Series B, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, 
for me, your story is so genuine about your your own life, you know, and I think that's one of the things that makes your company so beautiful. Oh, is that cool. you didn't start your company to be a series A, a series B, a series yeah. C, a yeah. series F. Great. You, know, you started your company because you knew that people needed help. Mm -hmm. And that that's where, I mean, that genuine nature of starting a company because of that are the companies that thrive, I truly mm -hmm. believe. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I think it's really important. I, I think I think it's spot on. I mean, we started wealthy with a deep and complete understanding of the problem statement and then you know set out on this journey to to discover and test and learn what the right solution looked like for families and learn how we could best support families and took some twists and turns we originally launched you know direct to consumer family funded uh, we now work with employers and companies cover the cost of wealthy as an employee benefit, which we love. It's a win-win. But that was really an organic path. But to your point, Jason, yeah, it's never, I mean, I'm a very, I think wealthy has been on a very non-traditional course when it comes to kind of our growth and how we've um, funded the business and, and just kind of some of the decisions we've made. We don't look like the standard Silicon Valley business. I think technically we're considered a social enterprise, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think it's just, it's simple, right? We are yeah. we are incredibly mission-driven as a company. I mean, my story is not unique. Every single oh, team right. member at Wealthy has a personal connection like you do, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's so relatable. Speaking of personal, can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. That thing on your finger, this finger? Yeah. Aura ring, right? Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that's magical about aura rings is you can look at an app, right? And you can actually see and get some coaching, right? Like I need more sleep or I need more steps or I need something. One of the things that I struggled with, and I'd love your, is that during the care of my father, I didn't have an aura ring. Mm -mm. I didn't have an app. I didn't have a coach. I, I mm -hmm. was just like, oh. Okay, well, here are the bills and uh, okay, here's the medical directives. And I think that, I mean, I truly think about that aura ring when I saw it on your finger. I was like, wow, that's what I needed when I was in that situation. And I'm, I'm not sure if you can tie that analogy together, but okay. I just, I wish that there was a coach. Yeah. And that's what I think those aura or those types of devices do. It's a perfect analogy. It's a perfect analogy, right? Like the weird thing about caregiving. So, you know, first of all, it's kind of a new problem we face as a society. It's like a beautiful, glorious problem that people can, you know, specifically talking about older adults, but really all individuals, people live for like long periods of time with like really complicated conditions and care needs and multiple, you know, diagnoses. Like that didn't used to be the case, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you died, right? Now we live for a long time. Awesome. The challenge is it requires ongoing management and navigation by typically the individual who has the condition, but more often than not, it's the family around that person. And the problem is you come into getting a diagnosis or you know becoming a caregiver with no preparation, no training, no warning, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't choose it. You know, unlike having a baby, most people choose to have babies. <laughs> Maybe sometimes it just happens. Um, it just happened for me, by the way. But yeah. you know, you choose to have a baby, and um, and there, you know, it's glorious. And people there, people talk about it. And there's great resources and bloggers and magazines. It's not the case for caregiving. And to your point, Jason, families are flying blind. And care is really complicated, especially certain conditions and diagnoses. And so, yeah, what we identified as at Wealthy is like the core problems is first, you don't know how to plan. You don't know how to get your head around like what you need to do. It's like every family comes to us saying, I don't know what I don't know. I don't even know where to start. Second issue is like just the blocking and tackling. Nobody has time to make a dozen different calls to a dozen different memory care facilities and get your head around which is best for mom and pricing and availability and all the other considerations. It's very time intensive and emotional labor, right? It's it's very hard um, to consider some of these things for somebody you love. The third issue is that we find caregiving is intensely lonely. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, you aren't really, you don't want to be the Debbie Downer at a party or with your friends talking about, you know, your bummer situation with your loved one. And so people hold it in. And what that creates is heightened anxiety, heightened depression, and and oftentimes substance abuse and other kind of physical issues. We see caregivers have 26% worse health. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really like what families need is their partner, their project manager, their advocate, their expert, their, their person, their, 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 their friend, their bud. Right. And that's, and that's what we build at Wealthy really. Lindsay, there's so many good questions and Jess, sorry to interrupt you. I know you have a, probably want to jump in, but one of the things that, so Mark said, God, I wish I had access to Wealthy eight years ago. Mm. Um, You know, Mark brought up a really interesting point also that said EAPs are a noble gesture, but too many actually move the needle when you're in a time of crisis. And I know that now that you're working with so many enterprises that you probably run into, well, we already have an employee assistance program. Why would we need that and this? And how do we do that? And I'm, I'm not saying, well, so many employee assistance programs are buried that no one even knows what they are when they need them. I'm curious as to, you know, how, what, how you position that and what you've seen with EAPs compared, not compared to, but along with wealthy. Yeah. I think it's a fair, fair, fair assessment, fair question. I mean, it almost is like wealthy plus a mental health support program is kind of the new EAP for companies. Um, yeah, we, we see a couple of issues with EAPs. Listen, EAPs, some are great. It, it's a wide range. Some are great, some are, some are less great. But And those are, I'm sorry, the, thanks for the question. Someone just texted me. Those are employee assistance programs. Uh, employee assistance sorry. programs. When yeah. we talk about acronyms, apologies, employee and, assistance. And, and when you back up for a second and think about EAPs and when they came into existence, employee assistance programs, I mean, it was in a pre-Google world, right? Like it was before you could go to the internet and search for anything and get answers on mm-hmm. anything. And so, you know, when employees had issues, um, you know, there was a anger issue or a depression or elder care issue, whatever it is, the EAP was like the single resource that could point you in the direction and give you some helpful kind of, um, you know, resources to check out, resources and recommendations. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem is that in a modern world where you can Google anything and get, you know, cursory information, a list of, you know, 10 facilities in a certain area, you know, an EAP doesn't, doesn't help quite as much, in my opinion. Um, you know, and, and just the kind of call center model of an EAP, you know, you call an 800 number, you speak to whoever answers the phone, that person may or may not have deep familiarity with what you're dealing with. And it just doesn't feel like it's a modern uh, solution for employees. I don't mean to bash mm-hmm. EAPs, but they feel a little bit um, outdated. I, I yeah. think... One of the things that Tracy commented earlier on is that, you know, you mentioned the fact that people don't necessarily admit or bring forward the fact that they have caregiving responsibility and stress and struggle for lots of reasons. Um, but she she made a comment like and they and then it, so if you don't know, that's part of my identity or my why, my purpose, my reason for working the way I do or requiring the accommodation that I might require or negotiating that hard for a salary raise. It's because I have financial response, you know, like we talk all the time about seeing people more holistically addressing, you know, sort of the whole person needs of a person. This is a part of identity that we don't often talk about. So when you talk about inclusion efforts and making a more than reasonable accommodation, like truly generous accommodation to help people thrive personally and professionally. I forget what the stat is and your research um, spells it out, but like most of us are caregivers, whether that's parents or elder caregivers or foster parents, or like most people are caregivers. And why don't we consider what that means when when we consider how to help enable and empower them in the workplace? That's beautifully said, Jess. Like, couldn't agree with, couldn't you know, couldn't have said it better myself. It's 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 spot on. And what we see is like it's especially problematic when caregivers are caregiving in multiple directions, right? Sandwich generation caregivers, you know, kids in the home, parents, in laws. I just lost my mother in law a couple weeks ago, and you know, gosh, we have four kids, right? Like, it's a lot. 
I have no idea how, how people are doing this. What's interesting is I just read this stat recently. You know that in 2011, 7% of Americans lived in households with three or more generations. Mm-hmm. Now it's 26%. 26% of Americans live. So when you think about, to your point, your employees, their identity, you know, what they're coming home to, you know, 26% of your employees are coming home to a very hectic personal life um, with yeah. a lot on their plate. Yeah. Sarah, I want to know Sarah better. <laughs> yes. And let's add the fact that it's gender stereotyped. So when you're talking about true inclusion and accommodation and creating equitable equitable practices, um, apply them to all. Like, Allow more people to step up into caregiving roles and responsibilities so that burden doesn't sit unnecessarily or unequally unequally, uh, on on a certain portion of the population. That's one, like make sure your programs and policies are approachable to all who could shoulder caregiving responsibility or want to or need to. Like that's step number one, I think. I think caregiving is a women's issue. Caregiving is a BIPOC issue. We see um, Black and Latinx women experiencing Mm -hmm. uh, more intense uh, caregiving situations. And then we do see, um, you know, caregiving dis, you know, having a bigger or or, or bigger impact on uh, the financial well-being of lower wage earners. yeah. And, you know, so when you think about if you're a salaried employee and you need to make a bunch of calls during the day, you can kind of sneak that in. If you work in a hospital, a retail setting, a hotel, and you have to navigate care during the day, how does that happen? And then also couple in the fact, you know, if if you have hourly or shift, shift workers, caregiving is a major reason for missed shifts, scheduling issues, turnover. Like you can't ignore the role that caregiving plays in employees' lives. Lindsay, there's an interesting comment from Heather here that says families, family members dispersed across the country multiply the complexity. And I think that prior to our generation, that wasn't as much the case. I think, I'm not sure if you have anything you want to add to that, but I think it's a really, it's a great point in the world we live today where now everyone can go work wherever they want to, you know, before people didn't leave their communities. Well, I used to think that my family was especially crazy and complicated. And now I realized every family is pretty complicated and has its own version of crazy. And family dynamics come into play every time, mm-hmm. every time with caregiving. Because, and especially when there's longer distance caregivers, you know, they're going to be, you know, adult children who are closer to mom and stepping in in a bigger role. And those people, you know, can feel resentment at times that their siblings aren't taking a larger part. People who are farther away feel a sense of guilt um, and sometimes feel like, hey, nobody tells me anything. I'm left out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see caregiving destroy families because of the tension and and then the finances, right? Like the financial components, you know, making decisions around how to pay for care. And do we use, do we contribute from our savings, you know, mm-hmm. as adult children? Do we, um, you know, put mom on Medicaid? And like, they're, they're really complicated choices that families have to come together and make t- together. And it's hard. You know, Lindsay, an interesting question that Ron asked in the Q&A that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to add a little personalness uh, to it as well. He asked the question, which I think is really good. How do you start the conversation with a parent about caring for them when they don't want help and would rather be independent? And I think that's, and where where that question led me to is where does, where, when does care start, mm-hmm. you know, at that place, you know, and I, I, I talked to some uh, older people, let's we'll leave it at that this week, who needed care based on what's happened in the stock market. Uh, just worry, not, you know, not medical care, but mental care, because they feel like they've had their money in equities that they've lost a mm-hmm. ton. So for me, like, it's interesting, when does onboarding of care start in that elder population? Well, I, I love that question, Ron, because, and, and Jason, your your additional commentary, because 
um, having difficult conversations around this topic is like one of the most challenging pieces. And so the result is people don't have the difficult conversations, which means nobody plans, which means every family ends up in crisis. Like, sorry, this is like the doom and gloom part. <laughs> um, but it, but but it's hard to have those conversations. You know, oftentimes we see older adults who are very proud and resistant to help from their children. Um, and, and that's a very common dynamic. We see older adults who are very private with their finances and don't want to tell their kids how much they have in savings. Um, so we have, I mean, there are good tips for how to have those tough discussions. I'll throw out a few tips. One is you always position the conversation around I. You know, you, you know, if you're talking about taking keys away from dad because you're concerned about his ability to drive, you never say, dad, you're driving like an old person, you know, or whatever version of that, you know, and you, and you do the eyes, dad, I'm worried about you. I love you so much. I would hate to see anything happen. Um, and we should talk about, you know, if, if I can drive you to where you need to go or just, you know, maybe kind of retiring that, that, that car of yours. Um, but using I language is really important and making it about how you feel. So you're not placing sort of blame or responsibility on, on your parent. Um, and just to have it's, you know, everybody feels like they have to sit down and have like a big conversation and it's like a big family, whatever. Mm -hmm. I would say it's like much easier just to have lots of little conversations and open up the lines of dialogue around things like finances and future wishes. Um, you can use the excuse of I met this woman on this um on this yeah. uh, meetup today and she's talking about these things and it made me think we've never talked about this and I'd love to talk to you about what are your wishes if you should need more care if you know if if it gets harder for you to walk up your stairs or you know if something happens to dad like how, like what what do you envision your life looking like would you want to stay in your home would you want to consider an environment where there are people your age and you have kind of activities and more social engagement and just to you know, engage in conversation early and often, right? And it doesn't have to be a big sit down affair. It's just, you know, chip it away and open up the lines of dialogue. Um, and understanding where finances are, like, you know, it's, you know, we, we see all the time, you know, older adults depleting their savings and old adult children scrambling to kind of get resources. Um, you know, Medicaid is a state program that provides additional um, funding for um, care that's not covered by Medicare. And there's like a look back period, right? So you can't transfer assets and there are all these requirements. So you do actually have to get in front of these things if you are going to find additional financial means for your parents. Um, and so, you know, I, I hope some of that's helpful. We have a bunch more support on that. But yeah, my, my main message is have the darn conversation. You know, we're talking a lot, as we should, we're talking a lot about sick care and elderly care, which is moment in time. You're accepting that for a period of time, I'm going to traverse this and we're going to do this and then it will end. They will get well or they will pass on to the next thing. And uh, But there are lots of caregivers who accept this. At, they either have a special needs child or a special needs person in their life and they assume that role and there is no and, and it feels much more, this is a long, this is a lifestyle I accept for myself. Um, or, you know, foster parents who say, this is, this is a hat I choose to wear. So there's other caregiving needs that are true lifestyle choices that don't have like, let's just get through this tough spot uh, together. Um, and so I, I want to call that out too, because this is a, a lifestyle or a way of life reality that doesn't have, you know, that, that truly needs to be incorporated and thought about much more holistically. And that's why these services and this support is so important. And I also like, I, I really feel like I need to say this. I know that it's hard, all the ways we're describing this, it's hard, it's difficult, it's stressful, it's emotional, it can be a burden. Caregiving can be so fulfilling. It can be the best thing you've ever done with your life. It can be so rewarding. What a loving gesture to provide as a caregiver and to receive as a neighbor of care. Like, why can't we do this better so that it feel like, so that it feels like all of the things it can feel like. Oof, beautiful. I got chills. <laughs> super well said, super well said. Listen, I took care of my mom for 28 years. Every single moment of it was incredibly difficult. I would do it all again, every day, any day to get even just another day or a week with my mom, right? 
Um, So it is, it's meaningful, but it, but it, but can it, you know, I, it really also can be challenging. We, you know, we talk about loved, loved ones at wealthy, which is, you know, our first parents or children or a spouse or sibling. Um, But we do see many individuals who are taking care of people who they don't love. There's not a, there's not a good relationship. You know, we have friends and wealthy members who have parents who are abusive in some way, physically or emotionally, uh, verbally, or, or just absent from their life. And, and yet that's, that individual is still showing up for the, for the parent that didn't show up for them. And so it's, I mean, it's a complicated, but Jess, I'm glad you raised, you know, 20% of households have a child, 20% of, um, households with children have, um, a child with some sort of special needs, some sort of mm-hmm. additional kind of um, care consideration. And so it's not, you know, it's not an uncommon need. And you have to think, like, I think about those, you know, all the news around parents through the pandemic and how hard it was to do homeschooling. I can promise you that was nothing compared to the parents who are doing homeschooling for a child with autism and mm-hmm. helping that child with ABA, speech, occupational, physical therapy, trying to do it remotely, um, and, and just trying to be that kind of aid for that for that child. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's not easy. You know, Lindsay, one of the things that um, was mentioned these chats, by the way, you guys you guys are awesome. Wow. Thank you so much uh. for all of this. Uh, I've been trying to keep up with them, I, and, I, and if I if I don't if I don't get your questions, I apologize. It's not because they're not great questions. Um, Dorothy said, "What do you about what about living wills? What do mm. you advise?" Um, and that that was real. That's really interesting to me because I have to be honest with you. I don't know that much about it, um, and I, I struggle. I struggled even thinking about whether I should ask you the question. Um, but curious as to I mean, is that an area that you guys work with and advise people on? Yeah, so we, I mean, you can get more complicated than this, but every family should have, every individual should have four basic documents, um, a will, uh, a living will, um, some sort of power of attorney, and some sort of healthcare proxy. Um, That's, those are kind of the basic documents. And, And we've, first of all, we find most people don't have those documents in place. And so you know, if you found yourself in a situation where you were, God forbid, hospitalized and unconscious, um, you know, you need to be in a position where you have people who can make decisions for you. And that's simple and easy for a hospital or other provider to be able to identify. A living will, um, you know, I think a living will typically refers to a document that really mostly kind of shares how you would like to be treated in sort of an end of life situation, if you would want to be resuscitated or receive kind of a feeding tube. Um, so that's what a living will typically refers to. Um, and, and yes, everybody should have that. Most of those documents, by the way, are many of them are kind of state-based templates. And so you can see a, a lawyer and pay some money, but most are state-based templates and you can um, you know, fill them out and there's some good resources online and you know get with a um notary to get those signed it doesn't have to be a big uh legal expense yeah that is good dorothy captured that for everybody thank you dorothy that's great great advice my mom has spent her entire career in the care of the geriatric population Mm -hmm. as a hospice and palliative care nurse as a covid nurse for a while and she like i love how pragmatic my mom is like some people think she's a little bit um like she's so deadpan about about things and so like so realistic and sometimes that it but things like planning for your own caregiving or planning ahead for your own eventual demise like she thinks these are like natural household conversations because she spent her entire career and she's seen so many situations go not the way they could have or should have because nobody had the conversation of course, at some point you may require care that you can't provide for yourself. Help those people out, whether those are paid caregivers or your family members, like help them out by putting a few things in place or saying how you want things to go down. Like what an honor to pay to yourself, honestly, mm-hmm. um, before you ha- before somebody else has to come in and call the shots for you. Um, 
so I, I I've always admired sort of the pragmatism of my mom. <laughs> it's just great advice. Like plan for yourself. <laughs> plan for yourself. I think we're going to have an entire generation. Here's my belief because I know my, I was in a position with my mom that, you know, as much as I, I love, I mean, gosh, I, my mom was my best friend, my everything, but she put me in a position that I will never put my kids in. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I will, you know, I will plan, save, and prepare so that, mm-hmm. you know, my kids get to enjoy, you know, and, and celebrate with me through my end of life, not, and not feel the burden. That's my goal. Yeah. So, so Linda, I'm going to steer us a little bit in a different direction here. Um, not that this isn't a great direction, but the first time that I ever met you, I was introduced by another great friend of mine who I trust with my life, Tim Davis, Yes. Uh, you know, who I know, you know, well, um, you know, and uh, one of the things Tim said to me, which I'll never forget, is he said, Jason, you do all this talking about employee experience, like employee experience, employee experience, employee experience, employee experience. This is one of those things, wealthy, that actually creates a better employee experience. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, excuse me, I shouldn't say I think. I know that in many organizations, they would say, oh, this isn't this is an employee experience. This is benefits. Or this is an employee experience. This is something related to, you know, the EAP and insurance and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I'd love to hear a little about when you go into organizations, are they thinking about it as a differentiator as to why people choose to work there? Or are they thinking about the services you offer just as, oh, it's just another benefit that, you know, maybe it'll get used, maybe it won't. Listen, I think it absolutely, you know, our clients, our employer clients are committed to a culture of care, to treating their team members, treating their colleagues as assets, as humans, as, you know, people with personal lives that are complicated. And listen, it is about the employee experience. You think about, you know, a a team member who, you know, Imagine you have a team member, her husband has a stroke. She says, you know, gosh, guys, you know, throws her hands up. I, I need you all to take over some of my work. I got to go take care of my husband. First of all, that's responsibility. You know, the team is taking on the work. They're aware that their colleague is dealing with something. And so not only is that, you know, employees husband who had a stroke impacting her, it's going to impact the entire team and their manager, right? Now the manager is worried about hitting the targets and are we going to deliver in time? You know, we're going to be down one person. We have to take another work. Do we replace that person? How long are they going to be out? Weeks, months? We don't know. And so it is, you know, you can't decouple, you know, what, you know, people bring their whole selves to work, which includes whatever they're going through at home. And so that is part of the employee experience because it's part just the, you know, life experience, right? As you started started this off with. Um, so I think, yeah, we do see a trend where companies are saying, you know, we know our employees are going through various things, especially through COVID, right? COVID was hard um, and want to provide support to that employee and to be known as a company who ca- deeply cares about their, their people. Mm-hmm. Nancy, your point, I agree. Traditional benefits are focused on reducing healthcare costs, not improving well-being. I guarantee you will reduce healthcare costs if you create employees who are less stressed physically, emotionally, mentally. You talked about absenteeism and you know requiring time away from work. And believe me, if I'm worried about paying caregiving bills and like of course that's going to hit like how of I, I do believe that there actually are some connections to be made about reducing healthcare costs for caregivers, just given the stress that that, that it carries with it. Um, and it drives us crazy, Jason and I and everybody at LeapGen, it literally drives us crazy when we have to help make a business case for caring people at, for caring for people at work. But that's a different topic. Thanks, thanks for saying that, Jess. It, it's so true. I mean, at Wealthy, we focus a lot on I'm very passionate about getting caregivers back to work. You know, the workforce lost 6 million women, whatever the numbers are. I think it's only 4 million. 
<laughs> or 5.4. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and women aren't returning to the workforce and yeah. it's care related. It's care related, yeah. right? And and those numbers don't even represent people who took, you know, took a step back, moved from full-time to part-time mm -hmm. or maybe took a step back in their career. Um, we see it every day. People mm -hmm. who come to us and say, I'm dealing with such an intensely overwhelming situation. I'm contemplating leaving my job altogether for a period of time or taking mm -hmm. a leave of absence. And I want to write, I want to write a blog post that's like, dear caregivers, please don't quit, please don't quit your job. It's just the the on-ramp back on after a period out is really hard. And it doesn't, mm -hmm. it usually it, you know, it's lifetime, a lifetime loss of earnings you know, yeah. and hard to rebuild. So, yeah. It, and it's like, you know, a benefit like wealthy, you know, we, we do the math for companies. We're like, listen, if we can help two, you know, a company with 10,000 people, if we help two mid-level women not need to step out of their careers and you think about the cost to replace them, recruit, train, lost institutional knowledge, call it 100% of the salary or whatever you want, you know, 150%. We pay for ourselves with two people we support who who otherwise would have left the workforce. So it's like, yeah, you know, it's a no brainer for for some companies. And Christine, I did catch your comment earlier. She said not related to care, but a benefit that was important to her provided through work uh, broke down in tears. It was the first time in a difficult journey. I felt like I got a bit of a break. Mm. If you give your employees a break. If you make it easier for them to do anything, just easier for them to exist and thrive, you can't tell me that you're not going to attract the best talent in the world who knows that you'll have their back. This is a, of course, this is part of your culture, your employer brand, your ability to attract and keep talent in your company if they just know you have their backs. Of course, there's a connection there. One of the things, Lindsay, I'm curious about is, have you started to see people use tools like Wealthy and Wealthy as a recruiting tool? Um, so, I mean, I, for example, the organization, I don't know if you heard, I was in Memphis, a big organization that's been around for a long time. They have a hundred and uh, they had, you know, turnover of in the 20% that moved, moved up to 120%, you know, and it's because it's so, you know, now there's a bunch of people in that city that could go work for Apple or could go work for so-and-so mm -hmm. where before, you know, they were stuck in just working for companies in that city. Mm. Uh, now organizations are going to have to really think about how to use tools like this, in my personal opinion, to differentiate themselves, you know, in those types of situations. So I'm curious if you're seeing it in the, the talent acquisition side, when so many organizations are trying to figure out what that little silver nugget is that they can use to attract people. I love it. We've started to see it. It's interesting. We've started to see it a bit with um, employees who are transitioning between companies and coming into a new company and asking for wealthy um, or caregiving support. Mm -hmm. So someone that maybe had it and then lost yep. it. Yep. Somebody oh, who had wow. it at their last wow. company and they're interviewing. We, we just had one last week. Um, somebody who reached out to an uh, HR team reached out to us and said they have a candidate they're trying to get and that candidate said but do you have wealthy um mm -hmm. so it's interesting you know we don't we see company i mean it's a little disconnected right because i think the value that wealthy provides is on the retention and recruitment of talent it's about creating a culture of care it's employee experience related but the person who holds the purse strings within an organization is typically the benefits person so it has to be like you know, we we will see sometimes it's at the CEO level that there's uh, a prioritization, you know, of like we're we're rolling out right now with a major hotel company next week and they are creating a role, a caregiving czar like they're they are honing in on this is an issue for our people. We need to really take it seriously. We're, you know, wealthy is part of their kind of strategy, which includes other pieces. Um, but it does have to be kind of an overarching, you know, cultural decision to embrace care as a topic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, backup care has always been a thing. EAP support has always been a thing. What, what I mean about really a culture of care is 
it's you know creating ERGs that uh, you know are for caregivers. It's support mm, services right. like wealthy. It's you know the new modern thing is like caregiving PTO. You know saying we're not going to ask you to use your regular PTO. We know you're going to use all of your regular PTO and sick time for your mm -hmm. caregiving needs. You're mm -hmm. gonna, you we want you to use your PTO time for time off. And we're going to give you dedicated caregiving PTO. Like there are things that companies are doing to really, um, really embrace the topic. But it's new. This is a new category, right? This is, you know, we're where mental health was like three years ago, caregiving. Um, mm -hmm. The next big, big topic. You know, what's so interesting is, I don't know if you saw my face when you said it's new, because it's not new. Right, <laughs> but I mean the the concept of it. Be, you know, I, I I laugh that empathy is. People are like, oh, you know, empathy's new. I'm like, well, empathy's not really new. Uh, like we've all been humans forever. It's the fact that we're talking about empathy. We're talking about mental health. We're talking about caregiving. That's the new part, right? Um, but you know, the caregiving part. I mean, I, I, it's interesting to me because when you run into some of these companies now who are dealing with some of the economy. Uh, ups and downs, you know, and, and, you know, they're trying to figure out the balance between labor arbitrage combined with, you know, stock arbitrage combined with my employees need more empathy than ever. You know, one of the things we say is the only way to, you know, digitize or to, to scale empathy is through digitization. And I think that wealthy is a great example of that, you know, is that, and, I'm curious as to do you do you get a sense that organizations even know how many of their employees are actually caring for people? Mm. I mean, that's the part that, to me that I I've never heard someone say to me. Like I've heard people talk about EAPs, but I've never actually heard say. You know, one of the things that would be great is if we could help our people that are caring for people. It's really challenging too because caregivers don't self-identify as caregivers, right? It's not right. like somebody's coming into their new role within a new company and they're like. And you should know I'm a caregiver, right? Like, that's not a thing. You know, people think of themselves as mothers, fathers, daughters, sons, husbands, wives. Um, and so, you know, we've seen companies do really interesting things. Our friends, our client, Meta, formerly Facebook, one of the things they do beautifully is they survey, they, that I always say Facebook, Meta um, surveys beautifully. They're really good at staying close to their employees. And one of the things they've started doing, this is like years of doing it now, is they survey on who is in your circle of care. I love that language. Who mm -hmm. is in your circle of care? Because it's not saying, who are you taking care of? Sometimes people are like, well, I mean, I'm not physically there. Does that count? But I'm emotionally involved and I fly home mm -hmm. every other week. Does that count as taking care, right? Like, but they say, who's in your circle of care? And they and they have a beautiful kind of broad definition of it. And when they did that work, this was two years ago when they started doing it, the number one relationship was parents. You know, mm -hmm. you think about Meta as like a younger company, you know, these young techies. Um, number one relationship was parents. Number two relationship was self. Number three relationship was kids. I mm -hmm. believe that was it. So it was really clear to them, you know, here – Meta was doing all this for the new parents and, you know, people with young kids and backup care. And, and that's great. But there's a much broader group of caregivers who need support. And that's what they realized. But surveying's missing for sure, Jason. And Steve asked the question about privacy issues. I mean, let's assume I, you already shared the stat, Lindsay, and some of your thought leadership pieces, like the vast majority of the workforce are caregivers in some capacity. So sure, you should find elegant, artful ways to ask what support do you need, assuming most people have some caregiving responsibility. But I truly believe that if you if you said, we offer support for caregivers, would you like some <laughs> or would you like this group or would you like access to these resources? People will self-identify. You get around privacy issues when you just offer safe ways for people to self-identify. And I have to say safe because I think some of the, part of the reason people don't share is that there is uh, um, there's fear of um what your perception or judgment of me might be if I say that I'm child rearing or I'm rearing someone with a child with special needs, or if I have all this extra responsibility in the background, 
I don't want you to think I can't perform. And so maybe I keep that to myself or I care, I have my parents in the house and I, I don't want you to think less of my ability to step up and deliver. And I don't want you to overlook me for special projects or opportunities or assignments or promotion because you think I can't uh, step up in the same way somebody else without that additional responsibility can. That's a very real thing. So you have to create the safety for somebody to self-identify and to request accommodation. The number one question we get asked when we roll, we do these information sessions when we launch with a new client um, and employees come and they just kind of learn and it's virtual or in person. Number one question to us every time we can anticipate it is you're not going to tell my employer that I'm working with wealthy, are you? Mm, wow. So that's your spot on. People don't want to be perceived as distracted, less committed. And the, the irony of that the thing that bums me out about that is that I'd argue caregivers are like, those are the folks you want to hire and retain, right? Caregivers are beautiful multitaskers. They have to be, right? They can compartmentalize, right? They're really good at advocating. They're really good at empathy. You know, they're really caring. They're choosing this role for, for their family member or whomever in their life. Like that's, those are the folks you want at your company. Um, yeah. That's not that. That's not really valued. Those traits aren't really valued, um, or we or we don't know how to put a value on that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, Lindsay, Lindsay. I know we're almost out of time, but one of the things I just love to end on um, is you know one of the things we talk a lot about is measures of success. Mm. And and I bet I mean, <laughs> God, I bet there's so many great stories of clients of yours that have a success story mm. and by the way i believe it's only one you know you mentioned two to save dollars i think it's one it's all it takes to actually save a life well, which yeah. is more valuable than any dollar could possibly be but when you think about that like what what is the measure of success of wealthy for in an organization oh it's impact right it's impact i mean we are great word yeah we're absolutely obsessed with impact we you know, probably our board and investors were like, oh, okay, how do we measure impact? No, but I mean, you know, it's, it's, don't some, worry about that. It'll come. It's that, some, yeah, don't worry about that. Some <laughs> combination of number of people we can touch and how we can change their life. And mm. oh my gosh, I have to tell you both every day, I get emails from people I've never met um, saying, here's my story, here's how wealthy helped me. And you know what? One of the first things they say is, I am so grateful to fill in the blank company. I'm so grateful to Salesforce that they would offer me this benefit. Like, mm. I'm sure that my company would think to support me in this way and hugely grateful to Wealthy too. Wealthy comes second. It's usually the employer first. Which, uh, yeah, which ties back to that employee experience, which ties back into why people stay at their company. Yeah. I love that. I met an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship is not easy, Lindsay. So congratulations. You are you're doing incredible work. I met someone similar who really believed in really believed in something. And I'll never forget a quote he used. When you choose to launch a business, a product, a service, when you choose this life, you have to truly believe you have something that can change the world. Mm. And I so kudos to you and the entire team at Wealthy. Uh, this is this is a really important conversation for us to have. Uh, and thanks for the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you so much for highlighting it. Thanks for having me on. Amazing community and amazing opportunity. Lindsay, thanks for bringing this to the world. Um, I amazing. hope you're proud. Congratulations on child number four. Uh, you've got your... <laughs> step kiddies. Three step kids, only one of my own. Oh, okay. <laughs> I only birthed one child. So. It's still the same. Easier. It's still the same. Lots of care. Lots of yeah. care. Lots of care. Lots of care. So, That's right. Love you, all. love you, Lindsay. Thanks for being on. Love you all. Um, yeah. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Happy Father's Day to everyone. Yeah. And uh, look forward to talking soon. Thanks again, Lindsay. Thanks, so. Thanks Bye -bye. everybody. Bye.